We are looking at Luke, the fourth chapter, verses, I want to say, 20 and 21. 21 and 22. And then we look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 21, if we, if we, if we get that. I hope, I hope we do. So we'll read through the verses first, and then we'll go back and, and, and comment on them. So <clears throat> this is Jesus. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist, by John the Baptist. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. Wouldn't you want to be there? Amen. Amen. Verse 22. And the Holy Spirit. This is a lot about the Holy Spirit today. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Chapter 4. Then Jesus, being filled or full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So we have two phrases over here. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, And he was led by the Spirit of God. Yes? Verse 2. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Was, uh, uh, Was the devil questioning that he was the Son of God? The word if over there is literally not the best translation. It should really read, since you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, and you are, that's in in view of the fact that you are the Son of God. The devil did not doubt in any way that Jesus was the Son of God. Yes? It was very clear to him. Very clear. So he says, since you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Verse 4 says, but Jesus answered him, saying, it is written... This is what our defense almost always should be. It is written. The scripture says, God's word says, this is our defense. This is what we get to stand on. This is what gives us discernment concerning different situations in life. When you're invited to do something and it doesn't feel that right. But you cannot put your finger on it. Call a brother or a sister and they might tell you, well... God's word says such and such. Boom. That's the answer. That's the answer. That's your defense. That's your direction. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Five. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain. The first one didn't work. He's trying a second one. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse six says this. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, well, maybe I'll go when we go over the verses. Verse 7. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Verse 8. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Verse 9. And then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And verse 10. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Now Satan is trying to use a tactic that Jesus used to defend himself and to, of, to, to de, uh, defend himself against Satan. And Satan is trying to use the scripture, but he uses it incomplete. That is Satan's strategy. He's a liar. So he'll use even scripture to get his way by slanting it a little bit or by leaving a portion out or whatever. And we look at it. It is, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Verse 12. And Jesus answered and said to him, It's been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 13. Now then, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him until an opportune time. An opportune time. Actually, the King James, my King James says, he departed from him for a season. He's coming back, folks. He's coming back. Verse 14. But you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So he was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. Now he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the uh, surrounding region. 15. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. This is what he was doing. He was about 30 years old. This is the launching of Jesus' public ministry. I know that Jesus was not a Baptist. Because he started his ministry when he was 30 years old. When he was 12 years old, it was obvious who he was. It was obvious that he was God's son, that he was um, special, that he had a connection with God. And, and as a Baptist, we would have gobbled him up at 16 and say, Hey, you're becoming a teacher right over here. Uh, come teach our youth at 22. Come, come teach our adults. But no. The father knew exactly when he was going to have his son ready for his public ministry. So he gets baptized. Uh, uh, let me not start my sermon yet. I'll just read through this. And taught in against For 16, so he came to Nazareth, where he had brought, been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 17 says this. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Now the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He was full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Now the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and has anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 19 says this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And 20, then he closed the book 
and gave it back to the attendant, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the minister who was facilitating the meeting, uh, attended and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. 21, and this is our last verse, then we go back. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Let us go back to chapter verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. We have had the baptism. He's filled with the Spirit. He comes, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 is what we're looking at. And Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. I always feel like when the phrase appears, full of the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit, I always feel like I need to explain it a little bit. Because there is two expressions that sometimes people confuse or sometimes people uh, uh, use interchangeably, or sometimes people uh, use uh, in a confusing way. You have an expression called filled with the Spirit, and you have an expression called the baptism of the Spirit. Are you with me? So, sometimes the Scripture itself uses the event of somebody being filled with the Spirit as with the words, Baptized in the Spirit. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually something a little bit different. When somebody becomes a believer, yes? When somebody, Darlis has been a believer longer than I have been a believer, but he becomes a believer now, this moment. This moment, the Spirit of God baptizes him into the body of Christ. Now that he is a member of the body of Christ. Are you with me? Then there is a, a physical or a water baptism where he gets dunked under to identify himself with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes out, and that is a visible sign of his baptism. Then there is the term called filled with the Spirit. When at, in the book of Acts, in the first chapter over there, the, uh, and the second chapter, the second chapter, you shall be filled, in the second chapter you are filled, uh, they were filled with the Spirit. Sometimes that is used as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can use it like that, but if you don't want to confuse it, then the baptism is when somebody becomes a believer and the Holy Spirit puts them into the body of Christ. Yes? Together we are the big B, body of Christ. Capital B-O-D-Y of Christ. Together. So when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit baptizes you, makes you part of that body then when you are a believer, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you'll ever need. But He is not always in His fullness in you. Yes? Because if He's always in His fullness in you, that's not the only reason, but that is certainly a good reason, then the words, Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't have any meaning. Because Peter was a believer. So if a believer is automatically filled with the Holy Spirit, then that those words would be meaningless. Are you with me? So there is something called the filling of the Holy Spirit that happens often when somebody is designated by the church or by a group to go do a mission somewhere. Then many times that person is asked to come to the front or they can sit wherever they are. And then some of the leaders or some of the people that are in that, in that body, they would come, 
they would pray over him, ask the Lord to fill him with the Holy Spirit so that that person can walk in power of the Holy Spirit to do the mission. No sense in going to do the mission in the flesh. So, so here, uh, 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 Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he is led by the Holy Spirit. It makes sense that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would try, try to lead you. But two strange things happened to me over here. One is that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. You would think the Holy Spirit would lead him to the Holiday Inn or something like that. He leads him into the wilderness. Not only that, the second thing that is, is sort of a little bit strange to me, is that he's being led by the Holy Spirit to be tested by the devil. You see, we would never think that God would do something like that. Because I hear people all the time, they're saying, I feel attacked. Well, you probably are. (laughs) Here on earth, you are going to be attacked, brothers and sisters. That's just the way it is. And just because you're a stronger Christian doesn't mean you're attacked less. You're attacked more. <laughs> because if you're a strong Christian, many times you're leading a bunch of people. And when he gets you, he gets a bunch of people. A lot of people will be confused when he gets the leader. Is that, is that a fair statement? I mean, it's happened, you know, it happened when Jimmy Swaggart. When Jimmy Swagger messed up like that, the, the enemy got him. He was after him for a long time. Finally, he got him. And because he knows that if he gets Jimmy Swagger, he has a huge following, not only in his own local church, but also on television. And many people were confused. I remember I was coaching in California. And just before I left, I had had lunch with a dear, 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 dear brother. And we both uh, 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 spoke to each other, excuse me, as to how much we appreciated Jimmy Swaggart. Boom, that weekend. We saw it on television. And we called each other to console one another and to encourage one another. Say, brother, don't, don't, don't be thrown off by that. Don't be, don't be thrown off by that. You, you, you stick it out with Jesus. You, you hang closer than ever. Because if you get discouraged, you know, you, you're vulnerable. So, doesn't it stand to reason that when God, the Father, is sending you out to start your public ministry, that he would make sure that you're tested all right? When they send a rocket in, in space, they test and test and test and test and test again. Because if there's people in that rocket, the rocket is one thing. Cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. But when there's people in that rocket, you don't want them to perish. So you test and test and test so that when you shoot that rocket, you're pretty sure this is going to work. Okay? So God allows a test in our lives. Don't be afraid of the test because God has filled you with His Spirit. 
and he's leading you with his spirit. Just hang to hang with God. Then he leads him in the wilderness. And that <laughs> wilderness, Lord, I thought you were going to send me to the Marriott or something. You're going to send me to the hill country <laughs> Woo, where I can have a freshwater creek and fish. Oh, what a nice fish. And But he sets him in, in the wilderness, a, a, a place of uh, solitude. My brothers and sisters, you know, some of the things that Jesus does are so contrary and opposite of what we, we do. When we would start our public ministry, we would be busier than ever. We're busy starting a ministry, brother. Do this and do this and do that and do that. All over the place. Hey, where is God? God sent you to a place of solitude. Hey, he wants to visit with you about your ministry. He wants to give you some instructions concerning your ministry. He wants to visit with his son and his daughter or both concerning their ministry. This is what you're going to encounter. This is what you have to be ready for. Be sure you hang close with me because the enemy, he's going to come after you extra. Amen. He doesn't want this ministry. He wants you to give up before you get started. You get so busy and so tangled up and so overwhelmed. Is this what I need to be doing? Well, that's a legitimate question. God wants you to ask that question in solitude. So that he can, when he talks to you, you can hear him. No, 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 no. You read me right, son. I want you to do this ministry. Yes. Somebody said that our language invented the word loneliness to express the fear of being alone. And, ex- and invented the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Don't be afraid of being alone. Because you're never alone when you're close with Jesus. Amen. And then he can visit with you. And then he can talk with you. I believe he has your attention. So, then it says that Jesus fasted for 40 days. And I'm thinking, where is the celebration? (laughs) We're starting our public ministry over here. Where is the celebration? I want some steak. We want to celebrate. I want to invite my friends and say, hey, I'm starting my public ministry. You come celebrate with me. Let's get some steak today. I really can't afford it. But I want to celebrate. And let's get some steak. Where are we going? Somebody, where are we going? On the coast. <laughs> yeah. Nico sounds all right with me. Right now when you said it, brother, my stomach is giving me the idea that, hey, maybe we should go over there. But instead, Jesus is fasting. Why do people fast? 
I have to care, be careful of my time. I'm, I'm on verse 1 or 2. <laughs> huh? Did somebody say? Yes. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is spoken by God. Very good. So they, God will feed their spiritual body. They don't need that food. And in many ways, because he's feeding you spiritually, your, your hearing, your spiritual hearing, gets sharper. So that as you're fasting, you're hearing more clearly what God is speaking to you. Yes? Um, you know, I had a few small fast. Oh, oh, one, I have, I used to fast every week. Uh, but now that I have to take medication because of my ticker, yeah, I never used to take pills still. My ticker said so. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> now I have to take medication. And I can't take it on an empty stomach, so I have a hard time fasting these days. But otherwise, before that, I fasted every week. And one day, I had a little bit longer fast, seven days and seven nights. Now, I, this is no bragging rights by any stretch, because I have friends who fasted 40 days and 40 nights, okay? So this was a small fast. But I remember that the Lord spoke to me, I want you to fast for seven days and seven nights. And with fasting... Is it that not your experience when you read the scriptures or when you talk to people who are fasting that it is not about fasting only, but it is about fasting and praying? Yes. They sort of go hand in glove. Is that right? So you pray a lot when you're, when you're fasting. And so the enemy doesn't want you to fast because you're visiting with the Father too much. He wants, to, he wants that thing cut off. So I remember the first day I was hungry like crazy. The second day, I was hungry like crazy. The third day was a little bit better. The fourth day was a little bit better. The fifth day, oh, I'm hungry. I'm in the bedroom. And my son had a pizza party in the kitchen. I walked to the kitchen. I ran back to the bedroom. <laughs> no, I cannot go over there. My juices started going. So, uh, fasting, so you can hear God better. Because I say, God, why am I fasting? I want you to pray, God said to me. Because my children, I want you to pray for my children. Because my children think that when I give them a little bit of a hard time, they think I don't love them when actually I'm expressing love to them. I don't want them to be just little children, <laughs> softy Christians. <laughs> I want them to be tough Christians that when the enemy comes and does battle with them, they refuse to give up. They refuse to give in. They tell them, boom, here's the line. Stay behind that line. Otherwise, I call my big brother for you. That's the idea. So I'm reading two scriptures, and I'm, I'm struck. I'm thinking, oh, that is so different. Jesus does, does things so different than, than people do. He, he goes to fast. He goes without food. 
And then so, is it a surprise that the enemy comes and first temptation. So, this is going on for 40 days and he's hungry. And the enemy is trying to get him in the hunger area, right? This is his need. The enemy is trying to get you where you may be a little vulnerable. Where maybe you are a little weak. Whether it is this is your weakness or because the circumstances have made this a weakness. And he comes to Jesus and says, hey, since you are the son of God, these rocks over here, these stones, why don't you make them into a loaf of bread? They have something to eat. My dear brothers and sisters, I I, I, want to give you an advice. I don't care how hungry you are. You don't have to have an appetite for the things of the enemy. Always, always, always and always, when the enemy is whispering in your ear, tell him off. Tell him off. He has nothing good to share with you. He has only your demise and destruction at heart. He came to still kill and, kill and destroy. That's all he's about. Although he uses, you know, uh, I call it when you have, when you have a, a detours. He uses detours and he uses uh, different tricks to entice you because he never is going to show you the end result. He just shows you the, the way he's going to get you. But you don't know he's going to get you. He is the master deceiver. And my brothers and sisters, when you get tempted, you typically know that you're being tempted. But when you're being deceived, by definition, you don't know it. Otherwise, you're not deceived. (laughs) And he's a master at that. So that is why you have to be sharp, spiritually. People say to me all the time, they're still... They're still a little fleshly, still a little young in, in the Lord. So they say, nah, he won't deceive me. Brother, you're already deceived. <laughs> right there. Be on your guard. He, he, he's smarter than you are. The only thing that makes you stronger than him is because Jesus is in you. Amen. So Jesus tells him, no, it is written, man shall not live. By bread alone. Even though I'm hungry, I don't have any appetite of your offerings. Uh, it says, in, it is written, it says in the word of God that you shall, that, what does it say? But by, he shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That is how you live. It is not about eating bread. It is eating a, the bread of life. That is the primary thing. The other is just uh, because you live here on earth. God wants you to have something to eat also. And then, the second one, he says, then the level, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And can you go to six? And he says, all this authority I will give you. He says, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Are you following what I'm saying? 
That's a bunch of stuff, folks. And he says, not only will I give you the authority over it, I will give you the glory of it. Like I said, he doesn't show you the nasty stuff. He doesn't show you the raunchy stuff. Because he'll offer you this. You know, have you, have you ever seen the TV series Locked Up Abroad? Have you seen it? Well, I'm not interested in that show. But from time to time, I just, I'm stranded over there. Maybe I'm a little bit tired. Oh, let the TV just take care of me for a little while. <laughs> Locked up abroad. So it is usually about drugs that somebody is paying somebody else to transport drugs to a foreign country. My young people, don't ever, ever, ever. It's all right. You can be tired. In this place, it's okay. It's okay to just to nap one when the preacher is preaching. He just comes to stand a little bit closer to you to so to see you know if I can wake you up a little bit or whatever. But <laughs> but sometimes you're tired. You can't help it. Is that true? And I'd rather have you here than not here. At least you get a little bit of what I have to say. But if you're really tired. You know, well, let me just tell you a story. Anybody here knows Arnold Fruchtenbaum? Arnold Fruchtenbaum? Fruchtenbaum? He's, he's been at our church several times. He is a Messianic Jew, or shall I say a Messianic Jewish teacher, who is incessant about studying. Unbelievable, his information. But he is a monotone with an accent worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not careful you have a hard time understanding him and don't go to a session when you're tired I did that when I was a young man and did not survive I had been teaching all day long thankfully in those days I was, I was not snoring yet but. so his information is unbelievable but his tone is monotone. And he's a little bit with his accent harder to understand than I am. And if you're not careful, you, you, you might, if you're a little bit tired, you might just, you know, do a snoozy or two. <laughs> you, you know, in my country, they, they call it when you go like this. They call it junko junko. Am I Jonko Jonko? Look at him. <laughs> Jonko. So, and the, sometimes I Jonko Jonko a little bit. I'm old now, so I Jonko Jonko a little bit. And then, but when you come to, you think you fooled everybody. You haven't fooled anyone. The whole room saw it. <laughs> but it is okay. When you're a little bit tired, it's okay. It's okay. I promise you, it's okay. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You know, nothing. Uh, you, you're tired, and you have some credit coming, and still you came. So I'm not, I'm not complaining by, by, by any stretch. But I'm just saying to the young people, never when somebody's asking you, never when somebody's asking you to transport drugs to another country. Now, when you're in 
present in this country, it is bad enough. But in another country, oh my goodness, it's a hundred times. Am I exaggerating? A hundred times worse than here in the United States. So this is the deal that they make with you. Would you please deliver this package? You know what is in the package. And you get to the plane. You went through this side of the, of the flight okay. They let it go through. It was uh, checked in. And there it comes. But now you're on the other side. By the way, they promised you a lot of money to transport that, those drugs. A lot of money. Give me something that is a lot of money. Huh? A million dollars. Maybe, you know, if it's a big deal, but I mean, they, they offer you plenty. They want to make some money too, so they, they offer you $40,000. $40,000 by any stretch is a lot of money, yes? So, you get off the plane. <clears throat> and all the people, how you call those agents? Duana, how you call them? Immigration and customs. The custom officers, they were not born yesterday. They watch and they look. And they look for people that are little. And if you're not careful, they shake hands with you just to see if you have clammy hands or not. <laughs> when, there's, when, you, when, you, when there's tears in your hands, you're one of those that they need to take in. And then they check your luggage. But let us say, so then you end up locked up in, 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 in a foreign country, which is very, very, very bad. But let us say you slip through. And you deliver the package. You were promised forty thousand dollars. They don't give you forty thousand dollars. <laughs> they just tell you, "Hey, here is ten thousand dollars. We're gonna give you the difference, but we need you to do another message for us, another another little errand for us. If you deliver this, then we give you the thirty thousand dollars that we just haven't that we haven't paid you yet, plus another thirty thousand dollars. So what are you going to do?" <laughs> because you don't get paid, because you shouldn't do it. <laughs> so, so my question to you is, yes, when Jesus is tempted, when uh, uh, Satan is tempting Jesus, that he's going to give him all the kingdoms of the world, do you even believe him in the first place? Well, yes, yes. So, but is he able you to, to give you a bunch of stuff, Satan? He's able to give you a bunch of stuff. He does it all the time with lots of people. That's how he gets them. He gives them a bunch of stuff. I have no appetite for a bunch of stuff from the enemy. Amen. I have only appetite for a bunch of stuff from our Savior. Amen. Not interested in what he has to offer. I don't think that you can buy me with $3 million, with $10 million, $100 million. For one thing, I don't want so much money because they'll kidnap my grandchildren and want to ransom. I'm not interested in what Satan has to offer. Nothing. None. He can't make it attractive enough. And just as I'm saying that, I realize maybe I'm challenging him a little bit. So you pray for me. 
and Sybil. <laughs> but when, hey, you don't have to fear him. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Just don't go for his tricks. So Jesus deflects that again. And then the third temptation is, I want to say, therefore, uh, I'm sorry, let, let me just say this, that because ultimately he gives you a bunch of stuff because what he wants is that he wants you to worship him in some form or fashion. He, he might start small, but then he increases. You should never worship anyone but God or anything but God. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't lead you but into demise, into despair. When you go in bed with the Satan, it is trouble. And it's worse trouble than, than you can handle. So the sooner you can get out of that, the better. But my question is always, why get into it in the first place? So, the third temptation, where are we? I'm not getting there. Uh, then he brought to Jerusalem, pinnacle, and said, uh, if you throw yourself down over here, then look, uh, the angels are going to get you. And he misquotes, or he, he uh, leaves out a portion of what God said in... Where I have it. Yes, okay, over here. Let me, let me just find it for you real quick. And he quoted Psalm 91.11, and he left this portion out. He says, For he shall give the angels charge over thee. And this portion he left out. To keep thee in all thy ways. The angels are keeping you. They have charge over you. Only in the ways of the Lord. You know, there's a, a, a funny saying going around that says that your guardian angel, when you go 75 in a 55 mile another speed limit, your guardian angel just left. You're on your own now. Because you're, you're breaking the speed limit. Now, I'm not sure if that's true, but that's just a way of saying that he is only taking care as far as you are in, in, in the Lord. Is, is, when is what his responsibility is. Okay, so then Satan leaves him, and it says he leaves him for a season, and he says, uh, now when the devil had ended, 15, when 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him until an opportune time. Uh, he, he left him for a season uh, and he, he's, he's coming back. He's coming back on an op opportune time. Uh, so, let me say one more thing and then, then I, 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 I'll have to stop. It is, you know, you, I read the passage and Sybil is doing some Bible study and she says, hey, there's this thing here and I think, I think it's in Luke 6 or something. I say, no, 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 I think you're talking about Luke 4 right there. Uh, and, and so I went and I read and I read it again and I thought, wow, 
this is rich. I drive in my car, wow, this is rich. I'm in the shower, wow, this is rich. Thinking about what God is revealing to me, what is in this passage. So let me just share one more thing to you, that is this. Obviously, since Jesus was tempted, temptation, being tempted, is not a sin. Are you understanding that? Okay. Some people, some Christians, have this theory, have this theology, if you will, doctrine, that I must not be a strong Christian because I'm being tempted so often. This is not true. The opposite might actually be true. That you are a strong Christian, that's why he wants to tempt you. If you have one foot in the world and, and another half foot in the world, he's got you already. He doesn't worry too much about you. He wants some of the guys that, and the girls that, that are stronger. Let me get some of them. Amen. Isn't that true, what they do? In soccer, they do that all the time. I remember I was a great admirer of a guy named Pelé. Pelé. They call him actually El Rey Pelé. He was the king of, of soccer in those days. And in the world championships in England, I forget now what the opposing team was, but they just tackled him and kicked him, and ultimately he had to go out of the game. He was by a mile the star of the Brazilian soccer team. By a mile. Since he was 17 years old, he was the star. <clears throat> and this is two, they go every four years the world championship. So this is eight years later. So this is two world championships later. I'm sorry. This is 12 years later. So there were two in between. So there's, you know, four, there's another one. Four, there's another one. And then the third one, there were two in between, of the, another one. He, he was about 30 plus, and he was basically uh, a, a little bit on his way out, but he was still so, so good. The star of the Brazilian soccer team. They kicked him till he had to get, get out, of the, out, of the, out of the game. And at the end of the game, he was a sportsman enough that at the end of the game, you have the losing team usually makes a little bit of a, a gateway for the winning team. They stand, and then the winning team just passes between them. And he went and he hugged everybody of the opposing team, the guys that kicked him out of the game. Yeah, he was, he was something. So they went after the star. They went after the, the guy that would inspire them to win, the guy that could help them to win. This is the one that they wanted. That is the one that Satan wants. So if he's tempting you, don't you give him any credit to make you think that you're a weaker Christian. Amen. And by the way, you don't have to be that strong a Christian. You have a strong big brother. Amen. I'll tell you one more story that I'm through. When I was a little boy, I was just... A troublemaker. I used to call bigger boys names, and then I would run away. And I was so fast they couldn't get me. One time I was up in a trap. I had to think fast. I ran in the yard and say, Auntie Josie, Auntie Josie. I didn't know anybody that lived there. They thought my aunt was living there. They left, and they left me alone. 
And so, being in trouble, I had several of these guys that wanted to beat me up in, around town. And they, and they could because they were bigger than I was. So, but I had a cousin who was a lot bigger than I was. And a lot bigger than they were. His name was Hans. Just a couple of years ago, we lost him. He, he, he passed away. And he lived down the street from me. And I remember, often I go get Hans. Because I knew that there were a couple of guys down the street over there that want to beat me up. But Hans walked with me. <laughs> it doesn't matter what Satan wants to do with you. You're walking with Jesus, brother. <laughs> You're walking with, with Jesus, sister. He can do nothing to you. They're gone. They're gone. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. You got Jesus. And he is more interested in your well-being than you yourself are. Oh, my goodness. There's so much good to tell you in this chapter. Let us stand.